0: Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. Each week, we bring you a show about horses, and we hope you leave knowing a little bit more than when you started. On today's show, we have an old friend back on the podcast. Matt Sheridan of Tehachapi. Matt Sheridan is a trainer and clinician. He's been on the show. This is his third time. We've actually got a (laughs) three-peat. Imagine that. Who knew? Matt's going to be at the Norco Horse Affair in Norco, California in October. He's gonna share with us some training tips and how you can get the most out of attending a horse expo. But before we get to Matt, we wanna let you know about a special event we are covering. It's called the Best Horse Practices Summit, and it's gonna be in Durango, Colorado in October. We think that the Best Horse Practices Summit is really an important event. One of the main tenants about the Best Horse Practices Summit is how to improve communication with your horse. That's really important to do, Renee.
1: It is. I've always said, I love to ride, but I have no idea how to tell my horse what I'd like him to do.
0: You know, and it it kind of reminds me, I'm going to tell another story. Oh, boy. (laughs) It reminds me of when we... We love his stories. (laughs) It reminds me of when we went to Costa Rica on an (laughs) 11-day trip back in uh, 1988. It was... uh, one of our last big vacations, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, and before the trip, i had had a couple of years of, of high school Spanish. As had I. And I was very into uh, listening to cassette tapes, so I got a couple of Spanish-speaking, you know, learn how to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, Renee, they weren't very good in 1988. I hear they're <laughs> much better now. But I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And we're in Costa Rica, and we want to make reservations at a hotel that's on the beach so i call the guy up
1: on the phone so no face to face
0: no face to face and i'm talking to him and of course i know most of the things that i want to tell him a lot of the stuff i know in spanish which i'm proceeding to do but every once in a while when i would run into a word that i didn't know you'd speak english speak english (laughs) And this conversation went on. We were almost done. We were, we were, I thought I was doing a thing. That's getting job, there. Huh? Right? <laughs> only. Uh,
1: I, I think it came down to quibbling about a room rate of $14 a night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I had the right amount, to be honest with you. And I, I couldn't believe it was only $14. At, the, at one point in the conversation, he says, Senor, if you're going to speak Spanish, speak Spanish. If you're going to speak English, speak English. And when I'm trying to communicate with my horse, there are times when I swear, (laughs) he looks back at me and he says, if you're going to speak horse, speak horse. If you're (laughs) going to speak human, speak human. (laughs) But give me something that I can consistently understand. Right. And I think that that's part of what's going to be going on in Durango. And it's Renee, is really what I'm looking forward to learning most about.
1: Exactly. Me as well. And darn it all, if these, if the Norco event and the Best Horse Practices Summit do not overlap.
0: Right. Son yes. of a gun. So there are, they do overlap. We'll be at the Norco Horse Affair on Friday. Then we travel to Durango for the the Horse Summit, which is Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Right. So that's going to be a big weekend for it us. It
1: is. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: A big horsey weekend. As we record this a few weeks before it airs, there are still tickets available. And if you're interested, you can check out besthorsepractices.com. Don't worry, I'll have the links in the show notes at woepodcast.com. And now, on to Matt. It's very fun conversation with Matt Sheridan, who's going to give us some training tips and talk about his presentation at the Norco Horse Affair. So we're speaking with Matt Sheridan today uh, from his home in Sand Canyon, Tehachapi. Welcome to the World
2: Podcast, Matt. Good to see you, John and Renee.
0: You're going to be at the Norco Horse Affair in October in Norco, California, doing a training clinic. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. Really excited about this. This is a grassroots effort by the thrifty horse down there in Norco. They were looking for trainers and clinicians to come in and do presentations. And I threw my hat in the ring and amazingly, they accepted me. (laughs) Uh, which is always wonderful. With that, basically, they ask for uh, people to tell them what they wanted to present on, give you topics basically, and then they ask for the trainers or clinicians that are coming in to not make this a canned performance. So a lot of times when we do a bigger expo, say, I'll just leave the names out of of some (laughs) of the bigger ones that we might do, but when we do some of these bigger expos, they want you to come in and, and kind of thrill the crowd a little bit. It's supposed to have that entertainment factor, you're kind of coming in with your program and it's going to be a canned performance as far as everything's sort of a, a known on some level. With this they asked that we make it more of a training opportunity to actually teach people that people could walk away with some good information. Of course with, with every expo I do or every clinic or whatever my goal is always to teach people so I don't try to do a canned performance. It, it may appear that way a little bit sometimes but it's It's just whatever I show up with, whatever horse I'm riding that day and however my horse is feeling and however the people I'm riding with are feeling. And so you're going to have some
0: people riding with you. Yes.
2: So I anticipate uh, three riders with me right now. They are students of mine, but the only reason we did that instead of taking people that we just don't know is that we need people that are familiar with my program. They don't need to bring perfect horses, but they do need to understand some of the concepts so that we don't spend a lot of time on those concepts and kind of lose the audience there.
0: Because one of the biggest things about the horse expo is you want to keep it moving because everybody's trying to find the solution to their horse problem there. And if you're going over some of the basic stuff, they'll tune out
2: quite quickly. Right. So essentially what I don't want to do is I don't want to spend an hour Going over my basic five right. maneuvers that I do, and maybe we don't even get through all five because the horse or the rider's just not there. This way, I can I can address those things, um, demonstrate yes.
1: them, move on. <laughs>
2: right, right, and and hopefully we'll be able to answer some questions while we're doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, when a horse isn't doing it correctly, we can kind of point that out and say how I would go about correcting that that issue. But mm-hmm. it's not a situation where we're just so hyper-focused on getting it perfect that we lose the crowd. It's kind of a Border Collies versus Queensland Healers moment. Um, I don't know if you've heard that analogy before. No, the, the Border Collie will sit there and watch all day and, and just waiting to see if anything happens or moves and they're happy if, if nothing happens or if everything happens. The Queensland Healers just waiting for blood. Uh, so. yeah Honestly, I think a lot of people go to expos for that reason. (laughs) Yeah, You wait for the blood. You wait for the big accident to happen or the big wowie moment. Uh Um, They're always very exciting. Oh, yeah.
1: oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Have you worked in the uh, George Ingalls arena
2: before? Not as a rider or competitor. I did do some work with the Mustang Heritage Foundation several years ago. I helped them put on one of their shows down there and was assisting in the background with the judging and with... Uh, getting people where they needed to be for that competition.
0: Very cool. Are you going to be presenting more than one day?
2: That is my hope. Um,
0: <laughs> they don't kick you out after the first day, is that <laughs> right? Yeah, hey,
2: get in your truck and trailer and go home uh, no, I'm the, Done with you. <laughs> right. The plan is at this point, as I understand it, would be uh, I'm going to take people through the progression of the bridal horse. So we're going to go all the way back to the foundation. Starting in the snaffle bit and hackamore, so that'll be day one, and, and whatever time they allot me to do this in, and for that portion, what I will do is take people through kind of correct usage of both pieces of equipment, but also go through my my five steps of better body control. Okay, sounds good. So pretty simple in theory. Uh, application will be its own thing once we get there and see how things are going then day two will take that progression from snafflet and hackamore moving to the two rein and bridle and as part of that because i recognize that not all people are going to do traditional horsemanship and and take a horse to the two rein and bridle parts of training is to go ahead and say okay what are we doing with the progressive horsemanship movement and some of the progressive pieces of equipment that are used the, the loose shank bits, different types of mouthpieces things like that and so it's my hope that we'll be able to do kind of a side by side comparison as I'm doing the demonstration, and still show that you get a a good finished product either way. But there are different results that happen along the way as well.
0: That's a, a long time period that you're going to condense into a
2: short presentation.
0: You're going to be able to fit all that in.
2: Yeah, we're going to take three years and put it into about two and a half <laughs> yeah. hours. Yeah.
1: But so many people would really like to do that that it would be it would be pretty fascinating to. See right.
2: And that's my hope is we're seeing right now a, a huge resurgence in the Hackamore work. Um, I know you've seen that, John, and you, mm-hmm. you even went through that with, with Scratch. And then also we're seeing a lot of people that want to ride in the bridle, uh, not necessarily a traditional spade bit bridle, but they want to ride in a bit that has some kind of ported mouthpiece and they're riding with Romel reins typically. But... So often, especially as a judge, I'm not seeing people using these pieces of equipment correctly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and
0: What's the biggest mistake you see people doing with them?
2: Well, essentially, where they're trying to lift the horse. So they're not lifting through the withers. They're pulling back on the face. Mm-hmm. There's universal... Thing we see with with pretty much every rider—that's
1: the go-to pull on the face, (laughs) right? Right,
2: yeah. So if you pull against the forward pressure, the horse will stop, right? Right, Uh, or not. Um, (laughs) But teaching people how to get that horse to lift through their withers and soften in the bridle, hackamore, snaffle bit, whatever piece of equipment we're using, Mm -hmm. with that is also hand position. If we're lifting through the withers, our hand position has to be in the correct place, and it's it's kind of neat. It's for me, it's been a real journey of of learning things that I knew and grew up with, but at the same time had abandoned it sometime mm-hmm. in my life. Just as you get into more performance horsemanship, sometimes you step away from things you know, and then coming full circle back to it and then taking it to the next level and studying some of the masters and some of the old guys that had, had done this and were considered the greats and and really understanding what it was they were doing when they made a bridle horse.
1: The why and the how. and
2: Right, mm-hmm. yeah. not And not only that, but adapting what they did to our modern horses. The horses we ride today are not the horses that were ridden 40 and 50 years ago. So the the, le- the level of elevation through the neck and withers on a horse now is so much different from hmm. what we had 40 and 50 years ago. So we have to take that into account. That affects what kind of mouthpieces we can use on the horses. It affects how we use our leverage on the horses uh, What we can expect for lift through the withers, lift through the shoulders, uh, engagement in the hindquarters, all these things are impacting our modern horses, and and a lot of people don't take that into consideration.
0: Do you think people spend enough time on the two rein as well to...
2: Oh, no. (laughs) Even even I'm guilty. so, So
1: done with this
2: (laughs) well and it's not so much a let's be done it's people are not patient now yeah you know there's no patience left
1: well they want to go to a futurity when the horse is two (laughs) or three three. yeah yeah
2: and and i think the the thing is this is that the whole principle of of the hackamore if truly understood we can spend a full year in the Mm hackamore accomplishing a great deal Me personally, I'll end up bouncing back and forth somewhat between the snaffle bit and hackamore, especially on my three-year-olds, depending on kind of what we're trying to accomplish. So, I'm a weird mix of the old and the new (laughs) because I recognize what we're trying to do with with these modern horses and, and some of the modern things that we put on our horses as far as performance goes, but at the same time recognizing the value of tradition and how it really impacts our progression and our training with our horses. So it's, it's a weird marriage, but um, I'm working <laughs> You're hard making to, it work. <laughs> I'm working really hard to make it work, yeah. Divorce sounds, is not in sight. It
0: sounds so. like it's going to be a great presentation. And One of the things I wanted to touch on, because you do these types of presentations, is how can an attendee get the, the most out of attending one of these clinics?
2: The key is, first of all, show up on time to the demonstration. Don't miss that introduction. Uh, a lot of people take that for granted. Mm. And it's hard because uh, if you're at an expo where there's multiple presenters, maybe you're really enjoying the one you're at and you're going to be a few minutes late to the next one you're going to. Recognize that you may miss some introduction that's really important to that presentation. I, I think that's one of the first things. Second thing is, and this sounds kind of rude to say it almost, but don't talk to your neighbor. Because you're going to miss something critical when you turn to your friend and say, what did he just say?
1: Or what I hear most often is, oh, yeah, my horse does that, and you know what I tried, and then... <laughs> and then they start
2: talking, and then right. you don't get to hear yeah. the good information. Right, and and we all have that. Oh, I've tried, tried this with my horse, but you haven't tried it with that person, or you haven't tried that person's approach to dealing with your horse. And so I think it's really important to be a good listener and, mm-hmm. and really try to absorb and hear what's being presented. Uh, even when I go and I listen to people, I don't want people talking to me. I want to be able to just focus on what that person's saying. And not only that, not only listening, but watching what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to either be visual or auditory mm-hmm. or kinesthetic. You know, we want to be hands-on. Mm-hmm. And an expo is certainly not the place to be kinesthetic. But, <laughs> um, but, but a being, lot of
1: us get that urge.
2: Right, right. Yeah, can I come in the arena <laughs> yeah. and show you what you're doing wrong? <laughs> but with that really is is... If you're more of a visual person, make sure you're taking time to listen to what's being said as well. And if you're a, a listener, make sure you take time to watch and see what's being done. Because as presenters, we're trying to get through a, a great deal of information in a short period of time.
0: And in a way that appeals to all those the different types of learners.
2: Right. So if as a participant or a, a person who's auditing... If I can try to observe as much as what's going on, maybe I'll see something that the person wasn't able to say, but they were doing. Mm. And vice versa. Sometimes they'll do something and they'll say something in addition to it that helps me. So it can both are really important.
0: Now, as a clinician, will you go and watch other presenters? Oh, you bet. And so who are you looking forward to seeing?
2: There are two people that one that I know and, and one that I haven't seen before. So, uh, Jerry Tyndall, who I know and we've done different expos and events together, and I always enjoy watching Jerry. He's, he's fun to watch and he's, he's definitely a, cl- a crowd pleaser and he's, he's got some good information. And the other guy that I haven't seen yet and I'm kind of eager to see how his dad's influenced him as well as other great trainers is BJ Avila. So, oh, so son of a gun. Son. yes. So yeah, so Bob's son will be there, and I'd I'd really like to see what he has to say and, and see what he has to present at the expo. So those are those are two people absolutely. I, I hope to be able to go and sit and watch. Beyond that, I I honestly don't know who all will be there yet, and so I I will get on the website like probably most everybody who's listening to this podcast once and it, figure it out.
0: Once the schedule, I don't think the schedule has been finalized yet. And I, I think that as we're going as we're doing this interview they're getting ready to produce the, that schedule.
1: So. You're going to show everybody the development of the bridle horse. Yes. And what else?
2: I'm hoping that it makes it on the master schedule. Uh, I assume it will, but I'm, I'm planning on doing a bits and bidding talk. So we'll be able to talk about and show people and, and let them touch and feel and see both traditional pieces of equipment as well as some of the progressive pieces of equipment that I'll be talking about in my presentations under saddle. So uh, that particular presentation is in hopes of kind of tying everything I'm talking about under saddle together where people can understand how equipment works. Because often we talk about a ride a horse, but there's a thousand different mouthpieces out there. So how do they work? And so I'll have that opportunity, not on horseback on a stage, where I can share with people that information, and they'll understand it. You know, same thing with hackamores. There's a lot of different hackamores out there. But how do they work? What's the effect? Why Why do I want a six or seven inch nose button versus a nine inch nose button? You know, what What length do I want? All these things that we have to take into consideration. And then my other talk, which really won't be so much of a talk, <laughs> will be an introduction to ranch roping. And like a,
0: yeah. So like I said.
2: Um, some people aren't auditory or visual, so we wanted to do something kinesthetic or offer something kinesthetic. And so I've asked them if we can squeeze that into the schedule as well. With that, then I would invite the, par- the public to participate and show them a few things. Hopefully these are people that aren't professional ropers because they'll probably smoke me on that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the opportunity to just learn a few basic things, take turns, rotate people through, and just engage the public a little bit. That right, sounds,
1: sounds fun. From the ground, I'm assuming.
2: Yes. No. We're, we're bringing in good horses and and <laughs> trained cattle. In, uh, with, yeah. And the ropes that catch. That, that, <laughs> they,
1: they catch the, yeah. the horns. <laughs> they have 101
2: percent catch rate. Yes. So, yeah. No. But we're, I thought it might be nice for people to be able to do that. It
1: would be very fun. Yeah. So
0: yeah. It sounds like an exciting event, and uh, we'll be down there Friday.
1: Yes. Okay. We only get to go for the one day. Okay. So.
0: Matt, we have a new segment on the show called <laughs> Ask the Trainer, and we got a question from one of our listeners. Bobby Chastain is trying to turn his horses, his horse on the four quarters, and his horse is moving both ends. So his four quarters start to move, but then his back end starts swinging around. What can Bobby do to communicate to his horse that he just wants that front end to move and he wants that back end planted?
2: Okay, good question. I'm actually riding a horse right now that that was one of his problems. Um, His problem was a little different than the the hindquarters moving during the spin or the turnaround and this horse hopped in the front end during his turnaround. The problem emanates from the same location, whether the horse is moving outside the turn with their hindquarters or they're hopping with their front front end end into the turn. And it's because we don't have enough drive through the hindquarters. So often we think, okay, this is a problem with bend, it's a problem with the horse isn't moving away from my leg correctly. So the tendency is to pull harder, spur harder, kick harder, and generally it doesn't solve the problem. So if we go back to some foundational things and we just practice walking that horse forward in a circle, pushing those hindquarters to the center of that circle while letting the shoulders continue to roll forward around the outside of that circle, eventually the horse looks for the shortcut. So instead of the back end falling out of the turn every time, pretty soon they're holding their hindquarters into that turn, and they look for the shortcut, and they're going to take their shoulders and roll right through. So that's, that's a short answer to a three-month solution. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Bobby, at least Bobby has something to work on. Just keep on. doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And I think a lot of times when you see people um, have difficulties with those hindquarters falling out all the time, mm-hmm. there's a real easy test to see where your horse is pushing. Um, We call it a position six in our barn, but uh, essentially what it is is you would pull to your hip with, let's say we're making a left turn. So I pull the left rein to my hip and I would push with my outside leg. So my right leg in this case. And as I ask the horse to turn around, generally what's going to happen is exactly what this horse is doing. Front end's gonna come around, back end's gonna kick out. Front end's gonna come around, back end's gonna kick out. And, And we're gonna see this and feel this. At the point that the horse kind of squats down and sits on their rear end a little bit and draws those shoulders through, you can release the horse and let them step out. This'll help sometimes with a horse that's exceptionally difficult. It acts a little bit as a shortcut for the riders, but it's it's not a bad shortcut. You're jumping ahead a few steps of what I would typically do in order with a horse, but it can benefit the horse and rider to do that. And the riders often will feel it because they can feel the back end falling out Mm -hmm. And then when that horse kind of stands up and s- sets over his hips and comes around you can feel that as well now we're not looking for a big turnaround at that point right i think that's the key you're you're not going to spin a horse um, you're just asking that horse to stop moving the rear end and step the the four quarters through the turn
0: you want them to have that concept first before you start
2: correct right. then essentially after that i i will take that horse back if let's say I had really tough case I would take that horse back and then I would just push him in that circle. We were talking about maybe about a five-foot circle and just start pushing his hips into the center of the circle and allowing those shoulders to roll through when the horse releases with his shoulders. So we, we actually create a turnaround from the hindquarters, not from the forequarters.
0: That's a great horsemanship tip. Hope that helps you, Bobby. Matt, you do a lot of ranch trail clinics, and you're even a judge in, in some trail trials. I think you did one yesterday at the uh, Backcountry Horseman event. Tell us a little bit about what you see in the trail trials that, as far as horsemanship goes.
2: Well, you bet. So I think the, the big thing I focus on at any trail clinic, um, show, competition, what have you, is um, there are three things we look at coming up to any obstacle. And this is this is really basic horsemanship, is we look at entry, execution, and exit so on a scorecard sometimes people see three e's on their scorecard from me and it can either be a really good score with three e's or it can be a really bad score with three e's and you know that either in either case either your your entry ex, uh, entry execution and exit were excellent or they lacked some um, quality
0: pizzazz so,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah basically when we look at entry entry really sets up execution the way my horse comes into an obstacle are they soft Are they straight coming into that obstacle, provided it's an obstacle we can come in straight at? What's our rate of speed and cadence coming into that obstacle? Then the execution is basically, were they centered, were they correct? Again, did they maintain cadence or footfalls where they needed to be? And then exit will usually turn out pretty well if the first two are in good shape, generally speaking. Where exit can sometimes be affected is people will come off of the obstacle and there's a tendency to set up for the next obstacle. If it's if it's an obstacle that's right on top of the previous obstacle, right, you, and you really need to focus on exiting the first obstacle, getting the horse clear of it, and then setting them up for the next obstacle. When you're setting up for your next obstacle, and and you've just exited, that's a lot of exits and obstacles, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> guys, learn to say that a different way. <laughs> um, Basically, coming, coming out as you exit, if you're, you're setting up ahead of time, your horse may not clear the, the obstacle they just left. So we can get uh, ticks, um, horse could end up kind of at a bad angle, uh, they can shortcut a turn that they needed to make. So these are all things that play into the exit. But generally speaking, exits go really well when the first two E's are working correctly.
0: Was there one obstacle you saw yesterday that people were struggling with?
2: I think we, well, we had a combination of obstacles that were fairly close together, and I think that was the one that threw people off the most. Uh, as far as getting the horses to do each obstacle, there was no issue. So we had a bridge to a ditch to a water obstacle. Coming into the bridge, generally the riders were okay. Horses may not have been centered always, but generally speaking, horses was centered, came through that fine. But as soon as they exited the bridge they were already setting up for the ditch and so they were they were throwing hindquarters out of position or shoulders were not quite right right so then they hit the ditch now again the entry is not quite right so the execution is a little off and as they exited the ditch now they're planning for that water box so they would cut their corner on their their exit from the ditch every time which again affected their score and then of course the water box probably being the most challenging for most riders They would come up and the entry as far as the approach was fine. But then when the horse refused, which probably is one of the more common obstacles you'll see horses refuse at, uh, most were trying to ride through the forequarters and not through the hindquarters. And, And just like that turnaround we were talking about, when we don't ride through the hindquarters, we end up managing our reins way too much. And we end up doing a lot of kicking and pulling that is usually unnecessary and really hurts your score. So.
0: As a judge, when you walk through, are you showing people that entry and exit? Because I've done a couple of walkthroughs on trail trials, and they just kind of, okay, you just go through that gate over there, and then you come around that cone. and
2: it, it really depends on the event you're at. Some events are geared towards where the judge doesn't tell you anything. They literally just walk you through, okay, you're going to be on the left lead as you approach this obstacle, right lead coming out. I mean, they're just telling you what it says on the sheet of paper and the expectation is is that you know what the judge wants. Other obstacles, they may actually take the time to kind of set things up, but again, not super specific. Just This is your bridge. You're you're going to want to go kind of A to B on your, your approach and your exit there and then on to your next obstacle. But they're not gonna give you a lot of detail. And then there's the third that I've encountered which they give you options and they leave everything wide open, which to me is the most difficult to judge, especially when you have a multi-judge show because now as a competitor, you don't know what's really expected. Yes. You're guessing. And I, and I think when I've competed in those kinds of competitions, those are the most frustrating because I can place first under one judge and second or third under another judge. Mm-hmm. And it, it's because the standard is not consistent. So when I judge, especially with multiple judges, um, I prefer to have a judges meeting where we try to be consistent about how we're judging. What you're looking for. And, and if we all agree that we're going to be vague, then <laughs> we're all gonna be vague, you know, and it's gonna affect how I score. Uh, I would prefer that we're always specific. And, and that means sometimes even, when you have these shows where where it is vague, there there's disagreement amongst the judges. And, and we have to sort that out before we go out there and, and judge the riders. Um, I prefer standards. There's an expectation of how things are done, and so it's very clear for the riders. I'll, I'll give you one clue that I think is really important, and this is good for any competition, not just trail. Know who your judge is. I can't emphasize that enough. Going into a competition, if you know who's judging, most reputable trainers, at least I hope most reputable, probably even some that aren't, um, <laughs> have websites or they'll have a Facebook page or an Instagram or something where they're putting their information out there. I recommend that people look at those judges. It, it helped me a lot as a competitor to actually know who I was showing under because I modified my approach to things a little bit based on who I was showing under. And that and how
1: they approach yes. their training yeah.
2: Yes. So if, if you know, uh, I'll just be very generic, but let's say I'm, I'm showing under a judge that's an Arab judge. Right. There is a look, whether it be in a rail class or a trail class that Arab judges might kind of look for a preference. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm showing under a quarter horse judge, they have a look and a preference too. And then if let's say I'm, I'm looking on, at a judge who's not associated with any associations, but I know they compete in, say, Ray and Cowhorse, and they're judging a trail class, well, I kind of have an idea of what they're looking for. And so it helps to kind of be familiar with who your judge is and if and whenever capable to kind of give them what they want. That's the
0: art of showmanship right there. It is. Very good.
1: And what's coming up for you on your schedule there, Matt?
2: So we're looking at uh, potentially in the month of September, right prior to NORCO, Doing a one-day clinic and then judging a trail challenge out in Phelan. And then in November, uh, Veterans Day weekend, I'm going to be having a ranch trail clinic in uh, Cass State, California here. Oh, that's And um, that'll be a smaller clinic. I like to limit them. This year, we've gone to an eight-rider format. Mm-hmm. So we ride for two days in the morning from basically 9 to about 1230. And then in the afternoon on Saturday, I'll do individual sessions with folks and they can get some individual help if they're feeling they need something more or in addition to what the clinic is about. Mm-hmm. That one, because it's on Veterans Day weekend, we're offering a, a little discount for those that are veterans or active military. So nice. just a little yeah. a little something to honor those who serve.
0: All right, That's wonderful. So, yeah. And if people want to find out about that uh, or more about Matt Sheridan, we're... Where can we we send them?
2: We are everywhere. Uh, (laughs) No,
0: that's us. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh,
2: You are truly everywhere. Uh, So on Facebook, Matt Sheridan Performance Horsemanship. Okay. And on the internet, if you want to find our website, it's mattsheridan.com or .net. You got them both. Yep. Yep.
0: And Matt's been on, uh, this is his third time on our show, so you might want to go back to those previous episodes and learn about Matt's background, Uh, he's a fifth generation horseman, the history behind your family, I was listening to that podcast just yesterday as a matter of fact, it was very fun, you did a great job. Thank you. We wish you the best of luck at Norco Horse Affair, and we'll be there on Friday and we'll check out your presentation.
2: And
1: will King Feeds have a booth
2: there? I'm in hopes that they will. I'm sure that King Feeds, at the very least, will be sending down some promotional items with us. And we will have a booth there. So oh, excellent. Um, okay. either, either King Feeds will be with us or they will have their own booth at the event. Okay. I look forward to seeing you guys there. Well, thanks for uh, having
0: us at your house, Matt. We really appreciate you being on the show.
2: Thank you for coming Matt.
0: out. Thanks. You know, Renee, I love those conversations with Matt. He's a fun guy. Lots of stories. And it's, you know, and and the the part I like about it is that's kind of the way the podcast started is we were sitting around talking about a ride or a training session, and we're sitting in Matt's living room, just sitting around his kitchen table, just talking horses and having a good time Mm -hmm. and sharing information. And you might have heard some of the wind chimes in the background or the kids (laughs) playing out in the yard. And it was, it's just It's kind of what I I really had envisioned for the show. It's just a bunch of good people sharing what they know about horses and horsemanship.
1: It was. It was a good time. On our way home from from Matt's, we talked about how we could probably talk to him for days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He just has so much information, and he knows it inside and out.
1: Oh, and one of the fun things that he told us about, this was off the air, but he remembered doing... A roundup of the Oak Creek horses 20, 25 years ago.
0: Right. so he That's was, where
1: Scratch came from. That's exactly
0: yeah. right. He was round, trying to round up some wild horses in Oak Creek Canyon. And we hope if you're in the Southern California area that you'll check out the Norco Horse Affair October 6th through 8th.
1: It's a great deal. They're going to have a ton of presentations and not charge very much at all for going in. It, it should be a good time.
0: So we hope you'll check that out. And if you do, go check out Matt's presentation i'm sure you'll thoroughly enjoy it if you're looking for more information you can visit norcohorseaffair.com well that'll do it for this show thanks again to matt sheridan for the third time of being on the show
1: <laughs> he's a regular you can follow the woe podcast on twitter and instagram and facebook and while you're there rate us it really helps other people find the podcast
0: there are several ways that you can help support the show we have a cool Amazon banner on woepodcast.com. And really, all you have to do is it if you shop at Amazon anyway, go to woepodcast.com first, click on the Amazon banner. It takes you to Amazon's website. Go ahead, order whatever you want. You'll pay the
1: same amount no matter what, and we'll get just a tiny bit of the action.
0: There you go. Well, you get a little <laughs> small percentage of that sale and that helps defer some of the cost of production and distribution of the podcast. If you want to help out even more, you can go to patreon.com or click on the patreon button at woepodcast.com. That takes you to our patreon site. And if you do
1: contribute a little bit of something, we'll post a picture of you and or your horse together separately, either ways fine, on our page,
0: on our Wo Podcast patreon page. Once again, Thanks for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. So as we... Man, I just can't talk. As we (laughs) were... Why don't, couldn't I just pick something that I could do? Nothing. Training wild horses. Yeah. <laughs>